because that's important because that's how we discover who we are and who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And so I want to encourage us to take the opportunities to do just that and grow and learn and step out there and do what the Lord, you know, what the Lord calls you to do. Amen. That's right. Well, let's pray. Father God, we just come to you right now just giving you praise, Father, giving you glory, giving you honor. Lord, just blessing and thanking your name, God. And we just thank you for this opportunity in your word. We thank you, Father God, for your word. And we thank you for all that your word will accomplish in our hearts today in our lives today. We ask God that you would just flow in this place. I yield myself as a vessel to you and I pray for utterance, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would place your words in my mouth, that they would be released in this place and that, 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 that your words would be poured into our hearts. And I pray, Holy Spirit, God, that your word would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet tonight and that you would illuminate the areas where we need to make adjustments in our lives in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's see. Our, our topic tonight is called the demands of discipleship. The demands of discipleship. You know, I'm very passionate about discipleship. Because you all know we have all type of different testimonies in here, we don't, don't we? And we have some testimonies where people have been delivered from all sorts of things. And one thing about my testimony is that even though I might not have testimonies like some people do, you know, they've been through this, that, and the other, what God did deliver me from was religion. How many people know you need to be delivered from religion? Because with religion will keep you stuck. And so I'm passionate about discipleship because I was in church for 20 years and I didn't know anything. I knew Bible stories. But I didn't know how those what those Bible stories meant for my own personal life. I knew all the religious things that we are taught to do. I, know, I knew when to stand and when to sit, and I knew all that stuff, but I didn't have any revelation of who I was in Christ. I didn't, and, and all of those things that I was taught to do, they didn't have any real spiritual significance in my life. It was just stuff to do. And so I was like many people who you are a quote unquote Christian or quote unquote believer, but there's nothing different about your life besides the fact that you wake up and go to church on Sunday morning. And so when I went, one thing, one thing that my mother in particular instilled into me is faithful church attendance. Now, that might have had something to do with the fact that she was the pastor and she had to be there. <laughs> but I can remember, as a, particularly as a teenager, feeling like the, the world not going to end if we miss a Sunday. Like, good Lord. And so we, I mean, I mean, and y'all know, I used to stay because I knew it was Sunday. And I used to stay asleep and wait and just hope she didn't come in there and make us go to church. But it never failed. She always came and made us go to church. And at, back then, it, didn't, it, was, it was annoying to me. But what happened was when I got 18 years old and now I was no longer in my mother's home and she wasn't there to knock on my door, it was already ingrained in me that I need to get up and I need to go to church. Now... Now, mind you, I already said that was the only thing that was different about me when, in that time was that I went to church, okay? So I was still an 18-year-old kid who was away from home for the first time, who had never, who had never done anything, all right? Y'all know what that means, right? That means I was at the party. Yes, Minister Barbara was at the party. Now, granted, granted, I didn't fit in, but I tried, okay? <laughs> 
I tried. All right. I tried. And I mean, I would wake up in the morning. I don't want to get too detailed, but I would wake up in the morning, <laughs> tell it, and my throat would hurt from the black and mild smoke. Y'all know, y'all know. I didn't smoke it. It was in there. Yes, I didn't smoke it. No, no, no. But it was there. And so, but nonetheless, I would wake up and walk my, walk, I said walk. Walk myself to the nearest Methodist church. Y'all know in College Town, they have like a row of churches, all the denominations. So you just pick yours and you just go. And so that's what I did. And every, no matter what I did on that Saturday night, every Sunday morning, I would wake up and I went to church. And I can remember one day sitting in that church. And I sat. I was, I was about 20 years old at this time. I only had one good year out there in college. Just one good year. After that, I got saved. So, <laughs> so, so. I was sitting in there, and I thought to myself, how is this helping me? What is this, what is this doing for me? Like, why am I here? And so it was at that moment when I said, Lord, it got to be something else than this. And it, it has to be something more to serving God than me sitting here watching these people sing and watching this man talk for 20 minutes and then go home and go about my life. And so from that point, the Lord led me to um, a small group, and I started to attend that small group, and then I started to attend the church that was affiliated with that small group, and um, they had a class there uh, called, Found I think it was called Foundations, something like that, but it was like a new members class, and it was in that class along with all the other opportunities, because we had Bible study like four days a week. So for this period of time in my life, I was going to church or Bible study for three years, four days a week. And so it was during that time that all the religious things started to actually make sense. So I learned what worship was, that we don't just sing hymns just to sing hymns in church. <laughs> but to me, the hymn was just a formality. But I had to learn that, no, the hymn is worship. That's me communing and fellowshipping with God. I had to learn that even though your personality is quiet and your demeanor is quiet, you still got to open your mouth and praise God. I can vividly remember the teacher of the class. He was like, you better open your mouth. Not telling me, but he was teaching us that you got to open your mouth and praise God. What if your spouse clapped at you? No, you got to open your mouth. You have to express yourself. So I had to learn what was worship, what was, <laughs> what was worship, what was praise. And I can remember spending late nights, whereas my first year in college, late nights I was at the Alpha Party or the Sigma Party. But after, <laughs> but, but after, I started on this journey, I found myself at Bible study, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, with other young women learning how to get into the word, learning how to worship God with no drums, no, no, no keyboard, none of that stuff. It was just us and the Lord. I can remember one time the neighbors called the police, we were so loud, just crying out to God. And so, so I realized that I cannot be the only person who has spent all this time in church and nothing made sense. That everything was just a formality. And I realized that all people needed was somebody to sit down and teach them. That's all people need. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. But we just need somebody to sit down and teach. And I can remember when I got to this church, I, I first started off as an usher because that's what I used to do at, when I was in college. I was an usher. <laughs> Y'all remember that? <laughs> we had, me and Miss Gloria, we had the long uh, dress. Yes! 
suit. But I had to get mine from the store because mine wouldn't fit where they ordered theirs from. So, but the Lord started to deal with me. <laughs> he started to deal with me about my true calling because it was not ushering, obviously. And so I said, you know what? I think I want to have a class like that one I took. And pastor let me do it. Like, he just, he's like, okay, fine, teach the class. So, so, so I did. And that's how this got started. But I said all that to say that discipleship is important. And it's not only important for new believers. Because sometimes we feel like we can outgrow certain things. And we feel, we begin to feel like certain teachings we don't need to hear anymore because we've outgrown that. But we have to be very mindful that the main thing remains the main thing. Because even in our, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's go there. Even in our church activity, we sometimes can begin to pursue so many different things that we forget about the basics. And we get so stuck. Even me, when pastor, you know, he didn't tell me what to teach, but he hinted at. <laughs> at least I took it as a hint. Maybe it wasn't, but I took it as a hint. And I'm like, you know, I want to drop some, you know, drop some revelation. You know, I don't want to talk about no, you know. But the Lord even had to, had to check me about that. Because we cannot forget the basics, okay? And so I want to talk to us tonight about the demands of discipleship. And the first verse that the Lord took me to was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And the, um, I believe this is the Amplified. And um, I'm going to read it. Yeah, amplified. Look what it says. It says, study and do your best to present yourself to God. Approved. A workman. Oh, I just thought about Pastor Kim. You, you talked about position to hear. And now when I was in that church, I was positioned to hear. A workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. And so as I was, you know, looking at this, I didn't really know which direction the Lord wanted me to go in, but I found myself here just, just meditating on this idea of discipleship. And so since the inception of Jesus' ministry, there has always been a little bit of a misunderstanding about what discipleship really is. And I say that because if you read through the Gospels, several times when Jesus had a multitude of people following him, he would stop and he would say something like, if you want to be my disciple, then this, that, and other. Let's look at one of those examples in Luke 14. Luke 14, 26, starting at 26. Let's start at verse 25. He says, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, so I, I, I just see this in my mind, you know, Jesus having a conversation even within himself, like all these people following me. <laughs> Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You can be in the crowd. You can be in a multitude. 
You can be in the pew. You can be in the comment section. You know people watch church online. But if you want to be my disciple, there's going to be some demands that you're going to have to meet. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider, well, Revelation, and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I started chuckling because it would seem as though Jesus would want everybody to be his disciple. But Jesus wasn't just trying to heap up disciples and people and a crowd and a multitude just for the sake of heaping it up. He said, no, I'm looking for some people who are willing to do what's required in order to be my disciple. Wow. Wow. And so many of the same sentiments that these people had, you know, they probably wanted to see a miracle. They probably wanted to see what was going on, what all the talk was about. Maybe they wanted some fish and some loaves. And so they were a part of the multitude. But when the rubber hit the road and it was time to make a commitment, it was time to make a sacrifice, now they want to turn away. And so I believe, y'all know I've been in discipleship ministry for a long time, not just in this church, not just in this church. And it's, it's the same. People have a very difficult time making commitments and sacrifices. And so uh, many people are looking for what I put here is an effortless Christianity. That requires no real commitment or sacrifice. But Jesus himself said that there is a cost if you want to be more than just a part of the crowd. Now, do I have anybody in here who wants to be more than just a part of the crowd? So, as a result of this casual approach to discipleship, many believers find themselves in a place where they don't know Jesus. They don't know his word. And therefore, they are not able to make any real impact for the kingdom of God. Because of this casual approach to Christianity. Now, I had a, I had a video, but I don't think the media uh, is able to show it, but it was funny, but it wasn't. Because it was a video, there's a guy on uh, Facebook who goes around and he, he offers people $100 if they can either quote three scriptures or answer three questions out of, from the Bible. And I found this one particular one very interesting because the people had church clothes on. 
And they admitted that they had just come from church. And they could not answer that man's questions. And at the end of the video, the wife called the man out and said, you supposed to be a deacon. She didn't say it like that, but she was like, you are a deacon. And they did not. And it reminded me of how we look when pastor asked us a question about, <laughs> about what he talked about the previous week. And we looking at him like a deer caught in the head. Like. It was the same, same thing, same thing. And then when they say it, you act, when he say it, you act like you knew you act like it was on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Like that, like that. That's how they were looking. And so this is what we have. We have church people, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know his word, and they fail to make an impact for the kingdom of God. So, in the Bible, there were many people who Jesus invited, some personally, to follow him. And some of them made, made excuses. We're going to look at those excuses in a minute. But right now, we want to take a look at those who accepted the invitation because everybody wasn't a part of just the crowd there were some who accepted this invitation let's go to uh matthew chapter 4 verse 18 y'all all right is this okay even though it's not deep just deep. <laughs> matthew 4 we need this guys we need this So it says, Matthew 4, 18, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They what? Immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. We already read that, right? Leave, leaving fathers and followed him. And so I had a question for Jesus. I said, Jesus, why do you want us to follow you? Why, why, why are you inviting us to follow you? And he reminded me of what happened in, um, let's go to Mark 10. Because we got to know why we follow Jesus. Mark 10, 28. Look at this. So... You have, you have all these other people who make excuses, right? They didn't want to follow Jesus. They, well, they, they wanted to follow Jesus on their own terms. But then you have these other group of guys who, when, when Jesus invited them, they immediately left everything and followed Jesus. Here's why. It's because they understood something that those other people didn't understand. Mark 10, 28, then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Now, remember, right before this was the rich young ruler who was not willing to leave all to follow Jesus. But here, uh, Peter says, uh, we have left all and followed you, verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so... They understood that Jesus 
was offering them something. Remember, Jesus told them, he said, look, if you follow me, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to make you from a, fisher, a, a fisherman to a fisher of men. And so there was something, there was a transformation, there was something that God wanted to do in them, but it required, it had some demands, it required some commitment and some sacrifice on their part, but they understood that what they were getting was greater than what they were giving up. And many of us are trying to hold on to this old stuff and hold on to these old ways and hold on to all these things because we don't understand that what God wants to give us is greater than what we we already have who God wants to make us into is greater than who we already are but if you're stuck on what you have and stuck on where you are and not willing to make the commitment and the sacrifice then guess what you're gonna you're gonna always be on the boat trying to catch a fish all night but Jesus wants to give you Jesus wants to give you a net-breaking catch. But if you're not willing to let him come on the boat and fall at his knees like Peter did and say, Lord, look, I'm not even worthy to, to be in your presence, then you're going to always be trying to catch the fish. So now let's look at this understanding. We're talking about understanding discipleship okay so we have to understand that discipleship was didn't just happen when Jesus came on the scene okay discipleship was actually ingrained into the Hebrew culture so they knew what discipleship was they were trained they were taught as little kids from the time they were could speak they were taught the Shema y'all know what the Shema is let's read it Let's go to Deuteronomy. Because we're talking about discipleship now. Deuteronomy 6. Let's start at verse 4. This is, this is man, this is so important. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this is very important because the Jewish people, they take this very seriously. See, we look at the scripture and it just looked like a suggestion. It just looked like a good idea, a good story, nice story, you know. But when they, when they read this, they took it very seriously. And so... Even to this day, Orthodox Jews, they say this two times a day, once in the morning and once at night. So when they saw this commandment in the Bible, it was, it was, it was like life or death to them. It wasn't like they, they understand what happens when you separate yourself from God's word. They understand what happens when you, when you don't do this? Because, see, this was a covenant for them. This was a part of the, the, the covenant. And so they, they understood that if they did not do this, that they would be separated from what God had for them. So this thing was so serious to them that they teach their children from the time they can speak how to pray this prayer. Not only that, but y'all know what I learned? Not only do they pray it twice a day, but they literally, look at it, look what it says. It says in um, verse 7, 
Let's, let's go down. Let's go to verse 8. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Do y'all know what these people do? They literally take a small leather box, the men. They roll up a tiny scroll with these words on it and a few other scriptures, and they literally tie it on their forehead. They literally tie it to their hand while they're saying this prayer. Do y'all see how serious this is? And so when we talk about discipleship, it's telling us what discipleship looks like right here. It says, first of all, you got to hear. That's the Hebrew word, Shema, right there. But this word here is not just a physical thing where you, it just goes in one ear and out the other. You heard it. No, this is, a, this is a Selah. This is a let this thing sink in type of hear. All right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And so this is very serious, okay? Oh, I was, I was going to show us what discipleship looks like. I got stuck on here. Okay. <laughs> it says you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, you know what? In order for you to teach it to your children, guess what that means? <laughs> that means we have to know it. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We see that? Our lives are filled with God's word. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. When I saw that, a sign on your hand, what I saw in my mind was when you get ready to do something wrong. <laughs> oh, snap, that's the word right there. You got it on, as frontless in your eyes? Oh, no, that's the, no, 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 I got the, mm -mm. I can't do that with my eyes because it's the word right here. So we want to take God's word very seriously. Now, my other question was, if the disciples, the, the Jewish people in particular, had been trained up to be disciples, because they were, even when they go to school, they're, they're taught the word of God. They're, they actually aspire to be rabbis, but they just all don't make the cut. Kind of like how we, a lot of us aspire to be pro athletes. But it's only a select few, a select few that's going to actually... Okay, that's how they were with being a rabbi, all right? <laughs> but I asked myself, like, Lord, what, why do they have such a hard time following Jesus if they were trained like this? And what I believe the Lord showed me was that I also learned that by the time they get about around 18 and they're not on the rabbi track, they got to figure out, okay, what's plan B, right? <laughs> and so at that time, they have to go into a career, just like we do. You get married, start a family. And so what I believe happens, just like many of us, is we get busy with life. And all the things that we learn, they start to fall by the wayside because those distractions start to come in. And so this is where we are. This is where we want to evaluate ourselves now. All right? While we're doing that, let's go to Revelation 2. Because... Reevaluating is very important. You know, Pastor taught us about how if you can get one degree off and you just keep going in that direction, you'll be way somewhere. You don't know where you don't know where how you got there. And so, even though I know we're good, good church people and we love Jesus, that's why we're here. It can never hurt for us to really take a look at our lives and say, "Okay, am I just doing church things, or am I really?" a disciple? Am I just doing church things or am I really seeking to grow in my relationship with God? Okay. And so this is what we want to make sure does not happen to us. Revelation 2 verse 2 it says, I know your works. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. 
and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So they're doing good, aren't they? So they're, they're doing good. They have some good things about them, as do us. It doesn't mean you're all backslidden and all out there. No, you're doing all right. Nevertheless, <laughs> I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Oh, that's a word for somebody. Because somebody used to be on fire for God. Somebody used to be in, in the secret place every day. Somebody used to be in the word every day, but now it's just a Sunday and Wednesday thing. Now it's just you just come in here and you just get your word and you just go. And, and you got to remember where you have fallen from. And it says repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so we just want to check and say, Lord, have I fallen from my first love? Do I still have the same fire that I had five years ago, ten years ago, six months ago, whatever it is? Or have I just fallen into this cruise control? We know about cruise control. But God is, is asking us to evaluate ourselves. Look at ourselves. Have we fallen from where we were? Have we left our first love? And if so, we need to make sure we return to those first works, okay? All right. I think I mentioned this already, but just because we're here in church. Remember we talked about those religious activities, right? We got to make sure we, we differentiate between religious activities and a real relationship with God. Okay. Um, let's look at, oh, let's look at, let's, look, let's go to Luke 10. Luke 10, 38. We're going to go down through 42. And it says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was what? Distracted with much what? It didn't even say she was doing foolishness. It wasn't foolishness. She wasn't out in the streets. She was serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. How many things is needed? One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So... We have to be very careful, especially us who serve a lot, that the totality of our relationship with God is not our service. Y'all know I serve a lot. And I got to check myself because pastor taught us, he said, Jesus called the disciples to first to be with him. And your servant ain't going to get very far if you're not spending no time with him. Your servant going to be a little bit dry if you're not spending time with him. And some of us, we're starting to feel a little bit tired and weary, and it's because we're doing all this serving, but we're not spending time. You know, I always say to myself, and I find myself getting in that place, I say, Lord, deliver me from the Martha spirit. I don't want to have a Martha spirit. No, I want a Mary spirit. And so we got to be sure that we don't confuse our serving with our relationship. Serving is great. Serving is good. I love to serve the Lord. 
But I realized that that's not what, that's the main, that's not the main thing. The main thing is sitting at his feet. Y'all know sit, it, it does us good to study the Hebrew culture. Because sitting at the feet was a discipleship term. You go over to Acts 22. Let's look at it real quick. Let's look at it real quick so we can learn something about the Hebrew culture. <laughs> Acts 22, verse 3. This is Paul talking. He said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the what? At the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to to the strictness of, oh my goodness, of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. So this place of being at the feet was a place of learning. It was a place where you go to be taught by your master. And so we gotta, we gotta get in the, we gotta get in the position where we are at the feet of the master. You know, there is a saying that they have in the Jewish cult culture about wanting the, to be covered basically in the dust from your master's feet. You know, they wore those sandals and they, you know, they had, you want to be so close that when your master walking, the dust from their feet is you covered in the dust from their feet. So we got to begin, y'all. We're talking about discipleship now. We got to, we got to, we got Y'all know what? When we get to heaven, Jesus should not be a stranger. There should, <laughs> there should be a familiarity when we see Jesus face to face. And I believe a lot of us, we're serving this untouchable, un, unreal thing out there that we don't really understand because we don't, we're not spending time getting to know Jesus. And see, a lot of our pursuit, when, whoa, my goodness, when we do get into the word, a lot of our pursuit is not to know Jesus. Our pursuit is, I want to find a word so I can stand on, so I can get what? No, you, we got to know Jesus. So we need to begin to make a little small shift that, hey, I'm trying to know Jesus. I'm trying to sit at the master's feet and take his yoke upon me and learn of him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so Paul said something here. This is a side note, y'all. Is that all right? Paul said something here. He said he sat at the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And so when Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 said, when he said, take my yoke upon me, that word yoke, it, it, it referenced the strictness of his law. Because, the, you know, different teachers, you get different levels of strictness. And Jesus was telling them that all that religious stuff is going to wear you out. But if you come over here with me, my yoke is easy. Y'all see that? So he was trying to call them out of religion and into a relationship. Because the religion is tiring. The religion is exhausting. The religion will have you wanting to quit. But Jesus said, no, come unto me. My yoke is easy. See, I'm not going to put all that on you. I'm not going to make you follow all these rules and regulations. All I want you to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So, so we got to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so I believe that God today is making, is, is, is urging us, encouraging us to make a new, fresh commitment to being disciples, to returning to that first love. And, and, he, and he's going to show us right here. We got three points here about true discipleship, three keys to true discipleship. So 
Number one, let's go to um, let's go to Luke nine. Fifty-seven through sixty-two. Luke nine fifty-seven. Look at this. It says, "Now it happened." As they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, Jesus minded his own business. He said this. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first... Go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we understand what Matthew 6, 33 says. It says that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. But these people here, they had it backwards because their priorities were out of order. And so if we want to be a true disciple, the first thing we need to do is we need to make discipleship a priority. Oh, my goodness. We got to make discipleship a priority, not an afterthought, not something we do on the side, not something we do when it's convenient or when we feel like it, but we have to make it a priority. That means we have to make personal time in the word a priority, personal prayer a priority, personal fasting a priority, because the corporate can carry you when you get like you need some help, but you got to have your personal relationship. And so um, we have to make this a priority, okay? Now, uh, here's how we do this, okay? We do this, y'all ever seen the illustration where they have like a container and they have three different things. They have big rocks, they have small pebbles, and they have sand, right? The sand are the distractions, unimportant things, social media, cell phone, TV, right? The pebbles are necessary things like just daily tasks. You know, you got to cook dinner. You know, you got to run an errand, right? And then you have the big rocks. The big rocks are very important things that something bad going to happen if you don't do, like relationship with your spouse, your kids, spending time with God, right? And so the illustration was that when you put the wrong things in there first, you put the sand first, then you try to put the pebbles, then you try to put the rocks, it's not going to fit. But some kind of way, when you put the right things in place first, everything else is going to fit in there. And many of us, we get so scared that we're not going to have enough time to do whatever it is that we have to do. All the little sand and all the little pebbles. And now at the end of the day, we don't have no time for the rocks. Can I tell you something? Put the rocks in there first. Put the rocks in there first. Because cause if, if, if you don't have time for this other stuff, it's all right. Ain't nothing going to happen. You're going to be all right. If you miss the Netflix, if you miss the Netflix special, you're gonna be all right. You're gonna be okay. So we gotta put the rocks in first. We gotta do the important things first. We gotta put the things of God first. And I guarantee you, if you begin to put the things of God first, He's gonna work out all the rest. Do y'all believe that? It was a quote. It was, I think it was Martin Luther. I made them watch a movie about Martin Luther. <laughs> I think it was Martin Luther. He said, I have so many things to do today 
that I think I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. You see that? Put the prayer, put the prayer first. Everything going to be all right. All right. So we need to make our discipleship a priority. Okay, we got to touch on something. Let's go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Oh, I'm watching my time. Exodus 20, verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. We're talking about priorities here. Okay. So we got to ask ourselves this question now. I know we're not worshiping uh, Buddha. I know we don't have statues. I know we're not doing yoga. But we need to ask ourselves a question. What idols have I erected in my life that are taking away my attention, my time, my energy from God? Because here's the thing, it's very subtle and often unintentional. We don't mean to put idols up in our lives, but you know you have an idol when, first of all, you can't not do it, okay? If you can't not do something, oh my goodness, we need to come down, tear some altars down. Because if you have to do something, if you have to watch that, if you have to drink that, if you have to eat that, you might have yourself an idol. If you have to do that. And see, it's very subtle because in our mind it's just a small little thing. But the Bible says that all things are permissible, but not all things are expedient. And I will not be mastered by any. And so, oh my goodness. See, some of us, I'm convicting myself too. Myself included. Some of us, we do these things because they, they, they make us feel something. They make us feel better. They, they relieve us in some way. They, they, they take the edge off in some way. They do all the things that God is supposed to do. All the things that we're supposed to go to God to, we're going to all this other stuff talking about, I'm just trying to let my hair down and relax. But what you really have on your hands is an idol. So we got to be careful, y'all, because the enemy, he is so subtle. He'll sneak this stuff in, and we won't think anything of it. And we'll wonder why we're not being as productive as we need to be. It's because we got this stuff that's coming in and snatching our time, snatching our enemy, our energy, snatching our resources, snatching everything from us. And now we don't have nothing for God. I got a question. Where are you wasting time on other things when you could be investing time in your spiritual growth? Because time that we spend on other stuff, nine times out of ten, it's a waste. And the devil knows it. But the time that we spend on our spiritual growth, it's an investment. That's why Peter and James and John were able to walk away from everything because they understood that was an investment. So we have to prioritize, make our discipleship a priority. I'm not going to be too tired. I'm not going to be too sleepy. I'm not going to be too whatever. I'm not going to have too many things to do. I'm not going to. No. I'm going to put the big rocks in. Y'all going to remember that. Put the big rocks in first. So let's keep going. Let's go to number two. Uh-oh. This is where we get to our main text here. So number one is we have to make discipleship a priority. Number two is we have to put in the effort. Put in the effort. We read in our opening over in 2 Timothy 2.15 from the Amplified Bible. It says, study and do your best to present yourself to God, approved a workman tested by trial, 
who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. We know that to say study to show yourself approved, right? Well, that word study is actually the same word for diligence. It means be diligent. It is the Greek word spudazo, and it means to make haste. Look at this. To exert oneself to endeavor to give diligence, to use speed, to make effort, to be prompt or earnest, to give, to do or give diligence, be diligent, labor, and study. So in other words, there is effort that's required for our spiritual growth. Okay? But here's the kicker right here. In order for us to be willing to put forth the effort, we really have to have a desire because you're not going to put forth no effort that you know, for something you don't desire. See, for something you don't desire, you're going to take the, the road, the path of least resistance. But see, if you, how many of you have ever really, really wanted something? You really, really wanted something. And when you really, really wanted something, you did whatever you had to do in order to get whatever it was that you really wanted. So, so we got to be willing to work out your salvation <laughs> with fear and trembling. What's the work? We're going to labor in the word. I know it's nice when you can come in here and let pastor feed us. <laughs> All you got to do is sit down and, you know, take your little notes that half the time we don't even go back and read. <laughs> But no, you gotta, you have to study. You gotta be diligent. Look what it says. Do your best to present yourself approved of God. Now, here's the thing don't compare yourself to anybody else. It says, do your best. If your best is 10 minutes, guess what? Give God those 10 minutes. But give Him your best. So, we have to. Be willing to put forth some effort. But in order to put forth the effort, we have to have a desire. First Peter 2, 2, we got to desire the sincere milk of the word so that we may grow thereby. I got another question. Y'all ready? Am I willing to submit myself to the rigors of training to become all God has called me to do, to be? There's rigor. Y'all know this is Timothy, right? The book of Timothy, that scripture we read. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, you got, he said, you're in a war, basically. He says, no man that warreth entangles himself in the affairs of the world. You know what else he told him? He said, you got to endure hardship like a good soldier. So in other words, there's some rigorous spiritual training that we have to go through, that we have to be willing to go through in order to become what God has called us to be. Y'all know the army, lo the army motto, right? Be all you can be. That's, that's what it is, right? Be all you can be. Well, guess what? There's a process that they have to go through when they first get there in order for them to become all that they are going to become. And that's a serious process. It's not, it's, not, it's not a cakewalk. And so here's the thing. Let's go to um, Luke 9, 23. Luke 9, 23. Um, let's see. Let's go just, let's just read the Amplified since I have it here. Amplified. And he said to all, if any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself. That word deny means disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself and his own interests, refuse and give up himself, and take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying also. Now, here's why I put this in here. It says, we're talking about effort, right? We're talking about work. And it says, 
uh, that you have to deny himself. See, this is the part right here. This is what it's all about right here. It says you have to deny yourself. And for many of us, uh, our flesh is getting in the way. For many of us, we are, we are too led. We're allowing ourselves to be led too frequently by our own desires, our own will, particularly in the moment. In the moment. Because it's your flesh that doesn't want to put forth the effort. Our flesh does not want to put forth the effort. But Jesus told his disciples, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we have to put forth the effort to move beyond our flesh and do what Jesus says here, deny ourselves and follow him. See, some of, we're, we're too led by our desires, guys. We're too led by what we, what we want all the time. So we got to put that aside. The ICB, let me see. The ICB says he must say no to the things he wants. Every day he must be willing to die on the cross and he must follow me. All right? So sometimes we got to tell ourselves no. We're going to start saying no to our flesh a little bit more often. When our flesh is leading us away from the things of God. Okay, let's do this last one. This last one and we'll be done. So the first one, we want to make discipleship a priority. The second one, we want to put in the effort. The third one, we want to stay focused on God. Stay focused on God. Because I believe that distraction is one of the major things that the enemy uses against people. It's distraction. See, it's not a lot lot of things that he can really do to you. But he can get you to be distracted. Okay? So, first of all, Isaiah 3.26 tells us that we need to keep our, our minds stayed on him, right? And he'll keep us in perfect peace. Now, I want to talk real quickly about these distractions because this right, this right here is what really blessed me. First of all, focus is warfare. Focus is warfare. You are doing warfare against the enemy when you are able to stay focused in the midst of all his distractions. Look what he showed me. He said there are two types of distractions. Some of the distractions are simply a matter of temperance and self-control. We just talked about this. This We're talking about the flesh, right? So some of these distractions that are keeping us out of, from the feet of Jesus to where we're supposed to be, some of them are simply a matter of bringing your flesh under subjection. So when you're scrolling on social, when you're watching TV, when you sleep, whatever those things are that, that, you, that your flesh is pulling you away from where you know you need to be, which is at the feet of Jesus, that is simply a matter of self-control. So how many know you can control yourself? All right, we can control ourselves. Now, there are other distractions, though, that you cannot control. This is what he showed me. He showed me that when Peter stepped out of the boat, at the word of Jesus, he could not control the wind, could he? He couldn't control the waves, could he? He could not control what was going on around him. But what was the one thing he could control? His focus. And so when everything in your life is trying to pull you away from God, when everything in your life is trying to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus, you got to make a decision that I will maintain my focus, that I will fix my eyes on Jesus, that I will set my mind on things above, not things of this earth, and I will stay focused on Jesus. Because the distractions... Would get us all in our feelings, 
all now you don't feel like praying. Now you you now you don't feel like reading your word. Now you don't feel like going over the message again because you allowed the distractions to get you out, get, get you in your soul, and now you don't want to do what you're supposed to do. So I don't care. First of all, we got to take care of the distractions that we can control. Secondly, we have to make sure that even in the midst of distractions that we cannot control, that we keep our eyes. The Bible says that I won't look to the right or to the left, but that I'm going to stay focused on Jesus. I'm going to stay at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to meet the demands of my discipleship. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God.